0: Section 18 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul King, Mississauga, Ontario. pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson, Volume 1, Chapter 4. Of the Progress of Chemistry under Paracelsus and his Disciples, Part Four. Paracelsus, as the father of a new system of medicine, the object of which was to draw chemistry out of that state of obscurity and degradation into which it had been plunged, and to give it the charge of the preparation of medicine, and presiding over the whole healing art, deserved a particular notice and I have even endeavored at some length to lay his system of opinions, absurd as it is, before the reader. But the same attention is not due to the herd of followers who adopted his absurdities, and even carried them, if possible, still further than their master. At the same time, there are one or two particulars connected with the Paracelsian sect, which it would be improper to omit." The most celebrated of his followers was Leonhard Thurneiser Zum Thurn, who was born in 1530 at Basel, where his father was a goldsmith. His life, like that of his master, was checkered with very extraordinary vicissitudes. In 1560, he was sent to Scotland to examine the lead mines in that country. In 1558, he commenced miner and sulfur extractor at Terrans on the Inn, and was so successful that he acquired a great reputation. He had turned his attention to medicine on the Parazelsian plan, and in 1568 made himself distinguished by several important cures which he performed. In 1570 he published his Quinta Essentia, with wooden cuts, in Munster. From thence he went to Frankfurt on the Oder, and published his Piso, a work with treats of waters, rivers, and springs. John George, Elector of Brandenburg, was at the time in Frankfurt, and was informed that the treatise of Thurneiser pointed to the existence of a great deal of riches in the March of Brandenburg, till that time unknown. His courtiers, who were anxious to establish minds in their possessions, united in recommending the author. He was consulted about a disease under which the wife of the elector was laboring, and having performed a cure, he was immediately named physician to this prince. He turned the situation to the best account. He sold Spanish white and other cosmetics to the ladies of the court, and instead of the disgusting decoctions of the Galenists, he administered the remedies of Paracelsus under the pompous titles of Tincture of Gold, Magistry of the Sun, Potable Gold, etc. By these methods he succeeded in amassing a prodigious fortune, but was not fortunate enough to be able to keep it. Gaspard Hoffmann, professor at Frankfurt, a well-informed and enlightened man, published a treatise, the object of which was to expose the extravagant pretensions and ridiculous ignorance of Thurneiser. This book drew the attention of the courtiers and opened the eyes of the elector. Thurneiser lost much of his reputation, and the methods by which he attempted to bolster himself up served only to sink him still lower in the estimation of men of sense. Among other things, he gave out that he was the possessor of a devil, which he carried about with him in a bottle. This pretended devil was nothing else than a scorpion, preserved in a phial of oil. The trick was discovered, and the usual consequences followed. He lost a process with his wife, from whom he was separated. This deprived him of the greatest part of his fortune. In 1584 he fled to Italy, where he occupied himself with the transmutation of metals, and he died at Cologne in 1595. Thurneiser extols Paracelsus as the only true physician that ever existed. His quintessence is written in verse. In the first book, the secret is the speaker. He is represented with a padlock in his mouth, a key in his hand, and seated on a coffer in a chamber the windows of which are shut. The personage teaches that all things are composed of salt, sulfur, and mercury, or of earth, air, and water, and consequently that fire excluded from the number of the elements. We must search for the secret in the Bible, and then in the stars and the spirits. In the second book, Alchemy is the speaker. She points out the mode of performing the process and says that to endeavor to fix volatile substances is the same thing as to endeavor to trace white letters on the wall with a piece of charcoal. She prohibits all long processes because God created the world in six days. His method of judging the disease from the urine of the patient deserves to be mentioned. He distilled the urine and fixed to the receiver a tube furnished with a scale, the degrees of which consisted of all parts of the body. The phenomena which he observed during the distillation of the urine, enabled him to draw inferences respecting the state of all these different organs. I pass over Bodstein, Taxetes, and Dorn, who distinguished themselves as the partisans of Paracelsus. Dorn derived the whole of chemistry from the first chapter of Genesis, the words of which he explained in alchemical sense. These words in particular, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, appeared to him to be an account of the great work. Severinus, physician to the King of Denmark and canon of Roskilde, was also a celebrated partisan of Paracelsus, but his writings do not show either that knowledge or stretch of thought which would enable us to account for the reputation which he acquired and enjoyed. There were very few partisans of Paracelsus out of Germany. The most celebrated of his followers among the French was Joseph de Chesna, better known by the name of Quercetanus, who was physician to Henry IV. He was a native of Gascony and drew many enemies upon himself by his arrogant and overbearing conduct. He pretended to be acquainted with the method of making gold. He was a thoroughgoing Paracelsian. He affirmed that diseases like plants spring from seeds. The word alchemy, according to him, is composed of the two Greek words youth, salt, and chemia, because the great secret is concealed in salt. All bodies are composed of three principles, as God is of three substances. These principles are contained in saltpeter, the salts of sulfur, solid, and volatile, and the volatile mercurial salts he who possesses sal generalis may easily produce the philosophical gold and draw potable gold from the three kingdoms of nature. To prove the possibility of this transmutation, he cites an experiment very often repeated after him, and which some theologians have even employed as analogous to the resurrection of the dead, namely, the faculty which plants have of being produced from their ashes. His Materia Medica is founded on the signatures of plants, which he carries so far as to assert that male plants are more suitable to men and female plants to women. Sulphuric acid, he says, has a magnetic virtue, in consequence of which it is capable of curing the epilepsy. He recommends the Magisterium Crani Humani as an excellent medicine and boasts much of the virtues of antimony. Duchesne was opposed by Riolanus, who attacked chemical remedies with much bitterness. The medical faculty of Paris took up the cause of the Galenists with much zeal, and prohibited their fellows and licentiates from using any chemical medicines whatever. He had to sustain a dispute with Aubert relative to the origin and the transmutation of metals. Finot came to the assistance of Aubert and affirmed that gold possesses no medical properties whatever that crab's eyes are of no use when administered in intermittence, and that the laudanum of Paracelsus, being an opiate, is in reality hurtful instead of being beneficial. The decree of the medical faculty of Paris, which placed antimony among the poisons, and which occasioned that of the Parliament of Paris, was composed by Simon Pietre, an elder, a man of great erudition, and the most unimpeachable probity. Had it been literally obeyed, it would have occasioned very violent proceedings, because chemical remedies, as they act more promptly and with greater energy, were getting daily into more general use. In 1603, the celebrated Theodore Turquay de Mayenne was prosecuted, because, in spite of the prohibition, he had sold antimonial preparations. The decree of the faculty against him exhibits a remarkable proof of the bigotry and intolerance of the times. Footnote: It was as follows: Collegium medicorum in Academia Parisiensi legitime congregatum audita renunciatione censorum. Quibus demandata erat provincia examinande apologium sub nomine Meirenii terqueti editam ipsum unanimi consensu damnat tantquam famosum libellum mendacibus convictis imbudentibus calumnis refrutum caenam isi ab homine imperito, impudenti, telmulento e furioso profitiari potuerunt. Ipsum turquetum indignum judicat, quyn usque medicinam faciat propter terminatum impudentium et veri malessine ignorantiam. Omnis vero qui ubique gentium et locorum medicinam exercent horator ut ipsum turquatum simelaque hominem et opinionem pondenta asse sicque filibus aciat et hippocratis ac galeni doctrina constantis permanent et prohibit nequis ex hoc mediocram perisensiam ordine cum turqueto aequae similibus medica concilia iniat. qui sequis fercit scolae ornamentus et acadamae privilegias privibetur, et degregementum numero expungentur. DATUM luminati IN SCOLIS SUPERIOBIS DZI QUINQUE DISEMPARES ANNOS SALIOTES, SEDECEM TRIBUS. End of footnote. However, Turquay does not seem to have been molested notwithstanding this decree. He ceased indeed to be professor of chemistry, but continued to practice medicine as formerly, and two members of the faculty, Seguen and Acacia, even wrote an apology for him. At last he went to England, whither he had been invited, to accept an honorable appointment. The mystical doctrines of Paracelsus are supposed to have given origin to the sect of the Rosicrucians, concerning which so much has been written, so little certain is known. It is not at all unlikely that the greatest part, if not the whole, that has been stated about the antiquity and extent and importance of this sect is mere fiction, and that the origin of the whole was nothing else than a ludicrous performance of Valentine André, an ecclesiastic of Calwy, in the country of Württemberg, a man of much learning, genius, and philanthropy. From his life, written by himself and preserved in the library of Wolfenbüttel. We learn that in the year 1603, he drew up the celebrated noci chimiqui of Christian Rosenkruz in order to counteract the alchemistical and theosophistical dogmas so common at that period. He was unable to restrain his risable faculties when he saw this Lubridium Juvenilis Ingeni adopted as a true history, while he meant it merely as a satire. It is believed that the Fama Fraternitalis is a production of this ecclesiastic and that he published it in order to correct the chemists and enthusiasts of the time. He himself was called Andre, Knight of the Rose Cross, Rose Crucius, because he had engraven on his seal a cross with four roses. It is true that Andre instituted in 1620 a Fraternitas Christiana, but with quite other views than those which are supposed to have actuated the Rosicrucians. His object was to correct the religious opinions of the times, and to separate Christian theology from scholastic controversies, with which it had been unhappily intermixed. He himself, in different parts of his writings, distinguishes carefully between the Rosicrucians and his own society, and amuses himself with the credulity of the German Theosophists, who adopted so readily his fiction for a series of truths. It would appear, therefore, that the secret order of Rosicrucians, notwithstanding the brilliant origin assigned to it, really owes its birth to the pleasantry of a clergyman of Württemberg, who endeavored by that means to set bounds to the chimeras of theosophy, but who unfortunately only increased still more the adherents of this absurd science. A crowd of enthusiasts found it too advantageous to propagate the principles of the Rosicrux not to endeavor to unite them into a sect. Valentine Wiegel, a fanatical preacher at Chopau, near Chem- Chemnitz, left at his death a prodigious number of followers who were already Rosicrucians without bearing the name. Egeus Gutmann of Sobia was equally a Rosicrucian without bearing the name he condemned all pagan medicines, and affirmed that he possessed the universal remedy which ennobles men, cures all diseases, and gives man the power of fabricating gold. To fly in the air, to transmute all metals, and to know all the sciences, says he, nothing is more requisite than faith. Oswald Crolius of Hesse, must also take his station in this honourable fraternity of enthusiasts. He was physician to the Prince of Anhalt, and afterwards a counsellor of the Emperor Rodolphus II. The introduction to his Basilica Chimica contains a short but exact epitome of the opinions of Paracelsus. It is not worth while to give the reader a notion of his own opinions, which are quite as absurd and unintelligible as those of Paracelsus and his followers. As a preparer of chemical medicines, he deserves more credit. Antimonium diaphoreticum was a favorite preparation of his, and so was sulfate of potash, which was known at the time by the name Specificum Pergans Paracelsi, he knew chloride of silver well, and first gave it the name Luna cornea, or horn-silver. Fulminating gold was known to him, and called by him aurum Volatile. This is the place to mention Andrew Libavius of Hell in Saxony, where he was a physician and a professor in the Gymnasium of Coburg, who is one of the most successful opponents of the school of Paracelsus, and whose writings do him much credit. As a chemist, he deserves perhaps to occupy a higher rank than any of his contemporaries. He was, it is true, a believer in the possibility of transmuting metals, and boasted of the wonderful powers of aurum Potibili, but he always distinguishes between rational alchemy and the mental alchemy of Paracelsus. He separated with great care, chemistry from the reveries of the theosophists, and stands at the head of those who opposed most successfully the progress of superstition and fanaticism, which was making such an overwhelming progress in his time. His writings are very numerous and various, and were collected and published at Frankfurt in 1615 in three folio volumes under the title Opera Omnia Medicochemia, Lebevius himself died in 1616. It would occupy more space than we have room for, to attempt an abstract of his very multifarious works. A few observations will be sufficient. He wrote no fewer than five different tracts to expose the quackery of George Armwald, who had boasted that he was in possession of a panacea by means of which he was enabled to perform the most wonderful cures, of which he was in the habit of selling to his patients at an enormous price. Labavius showed that this boasted panacea was nothing else than Cinnabar, which neither possessed the virtues ascribed to it by Amwald, nor deserved to be purchased at so high a price. He entered also into a controversy with Crolius, and exposed his fanatical and absurd opinions. He engaged likewise in a dispute with Henning Scheunemann, a physician in Bamberg, who was a Rosicrucian and, like the rest of his brethren, profoundly ignorant not merely of all science, but even of philology. The expressions of Scheunemann are so obscure that we learn more of his opinions from Labavius than from his own writings. He divides the internal nature of man into seven different degrees from the seven changes it undergoes These are combustion, sublimation, dissolution, putrefaction, distillation, coagulation, and tincture. He gives us likewise an account of ten modifications which the elements undergo. But as they are quite unintelligible, it is not worth while to state them. Labavius had the patience to analyze and expose all these Galimantias. Lebevius' system of chemistry entitled Alchemia e dispersis passim optimorum octium verit veterum et recentiorum exemplis potissimum, tum itiem preceptis quibusdom collecta adhibitis adhibitisque ratione experientia quanta portuit esse methodo explicata et in etegram corpus redacta, Accessorant Tractati nonuli Physici Chimici Itum Methodistici, Frankfurt, 1595, Folio 1597, 4.2, is really an excellent book, considering the period in which it was written, and deserves the attention of every person who is interested in the history of chemistry. I shall notice some of the most remarkable chemical facts which occur in Labavius, And which I have not observed in any preceding writer, who the actual discoverer of these facts really was, it is impossible to say, in consequence of the secrecy which at the time was affected, and the obscure terms in which the chemical facts are in general stated. He was aware that the fumes of sulphur have the property of blackening white lead. He was in the habit of purifying cinnabar by means of arsenic and oxide of lead. He knew the method of giving glass a red color by means of gold or its oxide and was aware of the method of making artificial gems such as ruby, topaz, hyacinth, garnet, balas, by tinging glass by means of metallic oxides. He points out spar as an excellent flux for various metals and their oxides. He knew that when metals were fused along with alkaline bodies, a certain portion of them was converted into slags, and this portion he endeavored to recover by the addition of iron filings. He was aware of the mode of acidifying sulphur by means of nitric acid. He knew that camphor is soluble in nitric acid and forms with it a kind of oil. Of the perchloride of tin, he was undoubtedly the discoverer, as it has continued ever since his time to pass by his name, namely, fuming liquor of Labavius. He was aware that alcohol or spirits could be obtained by distilling the fermented juice of a great variety of sweet fruits. He procured sulphuric acid by the distillation of alum and sulfate of iron, as Gerber had done long before his time but he determined the nature of the acid with more care than had been done, and showed that it was the same as that obtained by the combustion of sulfur along with saltpeter. To him, therefore, in some measure, are we indebted for the process of preparing sulphuric acid, which is at present practiced by manufacturers. Libavius found a successor in Angelus Sala of Vincenza, a physician to the Duke of Mecklenburg-Sherwin, worthy of his enlightened views and indefatigable exertions to oppose the torrent of fanaticism which threatened to overwhelm all Europe. Sala was still more addicted to chemical remedies than Labavius himself, and he had abjured a multiple of prejudices which had distinguished the school of Paracelsus. He discarded Aurum potabile and considered fulminating gold as the only remedy of that metal that deserved to be prescribed by medical men. He treated the notion of the existence of a universal remedy with contempt. He described sulphuret of gold and glass of antimony with a good deal of precision. He recommended sulphuric acid as an excellent remedy and showed that it might be formed indifferently from sulphur or by distilling blue vitriol or green vitriol. He affirmed that the essential salts obtained from plants had not the same virtues as the plants from which they are obtained. He showed that sal-ammoniac is a compound of muriatic acid and ammonia. To him, therefore, we are indebted for the first accurate mention of ammonia. It could not but have been noticed before by chemists, as it is procured with so much ease by the distillation of animal substances, but Sella is the first person who seems to have examined it with attention, and to have recognized its peculiar properties and the readiness with which it saturates the different acids. He showed that iron has the property of precipitating copper from acid solutions. He points out also various precipitations of metals by other metals. He seems to have been acquainted with calomel and to have been aware of at least some of its medical properties. He says that fulminating gold loses its fulminating property when mixed with its own weight of sulfur and the sulfur is burnt off it. Many other curious chemical facts occur in his writings, with which it would be too tedious to particularize here. His works were collected and published in a Quattro volume at Frankfurt in 1647 under the title of Opera Medico-Chimia, Quae extant Omnia. There was another edition in the same place in 1682, and an edition was published in Rome in 1650. End of Part 18 Read by Paul King Mississauga, Ontario pjk.scripts@mit.edu forward slash pkj